We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football or NFL fan. I'm your host, Stefan LeCoe, and you can find me on Twitter at Stay. Fun Laco. Of course, you can find my co-host Travis May at FF underscore Travis M on Twitter. So do look for us there. If you're joining us for the first time, College to Can is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from being a college football recruit all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And of course, we always talk some fantasy football since this is a Rotoviz radio podcast. But we make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. Over the last few episodes, we've gotten to hear from Travis talking about breakouts in college for this upcoming season, as well as freshmen who can make an early impact. One of the breakouts he mentioned on this last episode was Brandon Lewis of the University of Colorado, which is right down the street from me. So I was super excited to hear about that because CU being relevant would be fun. And last week, I was able to talk to Chris Towers of CBS about some advanced stats and you know what, what we need to learn from those. Uh, Great episodes. Check those out. But this week, I am super excited to have Matt Hicks. You can find him on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. He does a lot of work over at the NFL Draft Bible as Sports Illustrated now. And of course, you can follow him or join his Patreon, patreon.com slash the FF educator. Long introduction, Matt. Sorry about that. I shouldn't be talking for a minute and a half without hearing your voice. So how are you doing, man? Good to have you back on the show. Good, man. This is the time of the year, right? We're we're about a week away from week zero college football. It's uh, seasonal and best ball drafting peak time right now. It's such an exciting time, man, and love the podcast. You got me sandwiched here in between some really fantastic guests, so I'm uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. Absolutely, man. It's good to have you on. We've, we've had the opportunity to talk. Uh, I think I did the Pac-12 breakdown on one of your shows. I've had you on the uh 
the other college football show we do, and I think you may have been on this one too. I, I forget. It's hard to keep everything straight, but I always love uh, talking to you unless it's about the one, one of the leagues we're in together where it's our 24 team league, uh, super flex. It's a real, it's real brutal. I've got Deshaun Watson. So, uh, whoops, <laughs> it's going to be a rough, rough year in that one. That's a wild league, man. I'm glad you're a part of it though. It's, it's a fun one. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dumb. Uh, you mentioned best ball. I want to talk a little bit about best ball real quick. So yeah. I have been pretty hesitant to like dive in on best ball in the past. Last year I did one best ball league and I did not make any money. Uh, this year, I uh, I dove a little deeper. I'm in 10 best ball leagues right now. And uh, one of the players we might get to later. So so real quick, we're going to talk about just your overall process. We're going to jump into some running backs today. It's going to be great. One of the players I want to talk about later is Josh Jacobs because I can't stop drafting him in best ball. Uh, but best ball uh, is super fun. I, I've really gotten hooked on it. And I'm curious just kind of where you are in best ball. You've been doing a lot of leagues and uh, kind of what your overall stance is on, on that on that style of play. Yeah, I'm a big fan of best ball. And I got to tell you, when I first really started playing competitively, I was against it. I was not a fan of best ball. But I got to tell you, as I get more and more uh, into the analysis side of things, really, you know, it's almost you get to a point almost where we're playing fantasy football almost becomes secondary to the actual analysis of fantasy football. Mm -hmm. So best ball is so fantastic because it allows you to really just you know, add a lot more leagues and play with more folks um, without worrying about setting the lineups on time, without worrying about, you know, a waiver priority for 15 leagues uh, all yes. at once. And so, you know, there's there's two forms of best ball, I would say. There's, you know, I play a lot on underdog this year, which is like yeah, me too. really fantastic. Like I get into the $3 slow drafts and I got to tell you, it's the time of the year. Uh, by the time we're done recording this episode, I'm probably going to be on the clock in like six leaks because I'm in so many that I'm doing right now, just kind of in the background. But that yeah. is super fantastic. And I know we're going to talk about like seasonal projections here today, but that is super fantastic to to gauge ADP trends. So I've been doing those drafts since pre-NFL draft oh, and just wow. kind of gauging ADP trends across the summer, you know, for $3 at a time for a game. And so you're kind of playing low stakes, but at the end of it, you know, I'll probably end up being in 40, 50 underdog leagues. And so there's a, there ends up being, you know, a decent amount of, of stake in that at the end of the process, but taking advantage of it for ADP over the summer is really useful for me. And then, you know, just being kind of in best ball leagues on MFL and stuff like that. Um, I've really, I've turned to the two most recent uh, dynasty Debbie community leagues, which is what you were referring to uh, DCL three and four, both best balls now. I find it's kind of a, a trend that I want to take advantage of. Uh, so I'm, I'm all about the best ball life now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I am in about 20 regular style leagues and waiver day is just a pain in the ass. It's I mean, so some much, of them, man. some of them are, are super deep dynasty leagues. So there's not much on the waiver wire anyway. So, you know, you, you don't spend too much time there, but I like to your point, like adding best ball leagues is, is a nice way to increase your, exposure to fantasy football without a huge time commitment and and what i also like about it is just seeing which players i end up gravitating towards in this particular format and josh jacobs is one of those guys you mentioned being on the clock in numerous leagues i'm currently on the clock in um one of my one of my leagues here in in, in best ball on underdog and it's it's the eighth round and michael thomas is sitting there and i'm wondering is Michael Thomas a value at the end of the eighth round? And I feel like he just might be. <laughs> I, 
I have pretty high exposure to Michael Thomas, and I did not have him before, but I've been getting him actually a little bit later than that, in underdog at least, like more around 9-10. I'll wait around then. (laughs) Yeah, it's a situation where, you know, even if he only plays eight games, he could still contribute for you, and you don't have to worry about which eight games he contributes for you. So uh, in in seasonal, I'm not interested in Michael Thomas. I don't have him anywhere. I'm not going to have him anywhere because I don't want that headache. But in best ball, throw him on your roster. Why not? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And that's what I like about it too, is you that just that different strategy. Um, all right, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, some of your work because uh, I really respect the work you do. You do a lot on, on both sides, uh, similar to what we do here over on the college to Canton podcast, you're doing Debbie stuff, you're doing NFL stuff. You really have a pretty wide range of work. And so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is to talk about your process, to talk about um, how you evaluate players, and then how that affects your ranking of them. And I'd like to first just talk specifically about redraft. And then I'd like to kind of go into maybe a, a dialogue about how it changes or what changes for you when looking at Dynasty. And then finally, maybe have you give us a couple of tips on how to take advantage of Dynasty leagues uh, with, with drafts coming up. Uh, for some of us, uh, what we can do in a dynasty or a deep keeper, like I'm in a seven keeper league, what are some some good tips that you can give me to make sure I'm utilizing my draft capital appropriately? So first and foremost, um, how should I how, how do you go about evaluating players and then ranking them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think we both have this in common where oftentimes we really know about these players starting probably in high school, but at least in college. And so. Yeah. You gain a little bit of an idea of these guys as they're going through the college process. And, you know, my big thing, you know, I I think you mentioned it, you know, I do Debbie, I do Dynasty. I try to blend those two worlds. That's why I focus so much on the on the rookie process and the NFL draft process, because I love that blending process. And when when those players go through that process, they get a full uh, what I call the rookie big board rating, which, you know, I have a specific formula that I've built out for each position and how it translates for fantasy football-specific value. So each of those guys, uh, at least the young guys, I've been doing this for about three years, I have a good idea uh, of how I felt about them originally. Now, it's always a little bit tricky translating that to seasonal value, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to kind of play the fine line between uh, uh, you know, long-term value and short-term value, and especially some of these young guys we get excited about out of college, we got to wait a little bit longer for. It it sounds kind of simple, but... You know, I really encourage everybody out there, if you have not taken the time to do a full projection set, it is so, so helpful. I got to tell you, I thought I understood. (laughs) I thought I understood player value uh, my first couple of years before I really sat down and did a full projection set. So that's that's listing out, you know, every player on every roster doing individual projections for each team. I go back about three to five years for each team, try to look at trends. Um, You know, it'll adjust a little bit depending on coaching staff. Sometimes I have to follow the coaching staff trends back from other teams. Uh, So I kind of get uh, a a range of outcomes from that and then start plugging in player talent, look at individual player past performances. It's I like to stick in a three to five year window. I'm not really looking past what a player has done, oftentimes more than three years, but sometimes they'll go a little bit further for long-term veterans, guys like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Uh, And so then I'll do that for all 32 teams. And and I have it, you know, a nice sheet here where then it auto-populates and kind of matches up all those players against each other. And I think it is so, so important uh, to fully understand the the system and the offense that, that a player is playing in and then go from there. Oftentimes, I think we make the mistake of going the other way around 
we'd look at a player and then we try to jam them into a system. And so sure. for me, that that really helps kind of keep me honest with a lot of the guys that I'm excited about. It kind of helps check some of that rookie hype that I know that I have the bias to be susceptible to. So that's kind of the foundational aspect. And then, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm looking for specifically in seasonal, you know, specifically in redraft leagues, I am chasing volume. Nine out of 10 times, I'm chasing volume. Uh, I'm chasing running backs that can catch the ball. Uh, I'm chasing wide receivers uh, that have a, have a, you know, uh, large air yards or, you know, they have the ability to stretch the field a little bit more red zone potential. And then the, the biggest thing I'm chasing is quarterbacks that can run the ball. Even, you know, I'm not talking about just your Kyler Murray's Lamar Jackson's. If a quarterback can get four to six rushing touchdowns a year, they are more, they are most likely going to be on my roster, right? I'm going to be targeting them because those are the guys that are really going to be able to be game changers. And I play almost exclusively in super flex leagues. <laughs> nice. I, I've, all my new, all, all the new leagues I, I join now are, are super flex and, and to some degree. Um, I'm going to rewind the tape here a little bit and kind of break through, uh, break down some of the, the things you said. First off, use a, a couple of really great keywords that I hope my, our listeners uh, heard. And, and one of those is projections and uh, the other one's range of outcomes. And and we have on the road of his website, quick plug here, um, we have a projection tool. We actually have all the formulas built in. We have the data that Matt was referring to regarding coaching um, history and, and game uh, kind of decision-making processes when, when talking about like run to pass ratios and stuff like that. So all that's in there on the road of his app. You can plug and play. It's super great. We also have a range of outcome tools. So um, we, we you can put in a player's name and, and kind of see, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about some of that stuff as we go forward when we're talking about some of the specific players. Um, but one of the things you, you mentioned uh, is kind of like some of the the early, you know, getting on a player early because you see them in college and, and you're doing a lot of work there, sometimes even as early as high school. What do you look for in a prospect? What is it something that um, kind of catches your eye? Do you find yourself more looking at, because I, mean, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, you'll show like highlight tape of, of some players, but you also talk about like production. You'll also talk about an athletic profile. What to you is, of course, for all of us, it's a blended approach, but where do you kind of find you your bias or your metrics? Where, where do you kind of fall more on? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I, I like the fact that you use the word bias because it's important to recognize we all come in with, with certain biases, right? Like, you know, for some reason, I'm always going to think a Tennessee volunteer has a shot to be special and they rarely <laughs> are. You know what I mean? So mm. I checked myself on Josh Palmer love, as long as I love could. Arian Foster, though, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking and about that, him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all just waiting for Peyton to come back. All right. So uh, or Arch to not come to Tennessee, however you want to look at it. Right. Um, but I so. Essentially, what I've done is I've tried to develop uh, individual formulas for each position, one for quarterback, one for running back, one for wide receiver, one for tight end. And in each of those formulas, I'm looking at about six to seven traits uh, for each of those positions. And I've tried to be really intentional on projecting for what works in fantasy football, right? And learning give, from my mistakes. Yeah. Can you yeah. give me an example of like what, what are, you don't have to give me your entire formula that then, then people wouldn't have reason to, to tune no, in no, and no. follow you. But can you give me like one or two specific, um, maybe it's a stat or uh, whatever it might be that, uh, yeah. that you use in one of your formulas? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you two good examples. I'll, I'll do a running back and a wide receiver. Cause these are, these are things I find I'm constantly battling against. Uh, so one of the big things for me, uh, one of the lessons that I had to learn when when developing this is that uh, for me, something that is really important for the wide receiver position 
is the ability to separate, right? That is for me something that initially early on, I was willing to kind of look past. Uh, A lot of folks, I think that are a little bit more casual through the draft process. uh, Oftentimes we'll see highlight clips uh, of guys making like awesome contested catches. And you're like, wow, this guy is a contested catch monster. And then you like look up his stats and he's like 6'1 and 195. And you're like, actually, maybe he just can't separate, right? Mm, Uh, And so for me, one of the things, right, like I am so high on Terrace Marshall this year. I'm pretty sure that I evaluated him higher than 9 out of 10 people uh, that evaluated him. I've got like 60% exposure to him on best ball uh, this year. So Your Twitter timeline is also very uh, (laughs) Terrace Marshall heavy these days if if this man busts like i am done for right but i'm telling you like the the reason uh, there's a lot of factors that i like about him but to me nobody separates better in the deep third of the field in this year's class in terrace marshall and so that's something that's really important to me uh and guys that can't separate as much i tend to be lower on which is where i've gotten myself into a lot of heat with guys like rashad bateman right uh, but, you know, I look at my past mistakes and, and it's a great example. You know, I was high on Kelvin Harmon. Kelvin Harmon couldn't consistently separate, but he was a contested catch monster. He ran fairly crisp routes other than that. Uh, but he just got cut by Washington. And, you know, oh, injuries. Have, yes. Yeah. He got cut by Washington this see, week. I grew, was, up in, I grew up an NC State fan, so I kind of always gravitate towards their players. And uh, that's that's sad news. It was a tragic L. Like I'm sure he's going to get picked up and have another shot because I don't. I still think that he has talent. Uh, but you know, I kind of learned my mistake there. So, so the wide receiver formula is weighted in that way. Uh, I also really uh, challenge folks to to consider what they think route running means. There's mm. a lot of components that go into route running, and oftentimes we talk about it in a really general sense. But are you talking about the release? Right? Are you talking about Uh, the diversity of their route tree. That's something that to me isn't as important. A lot of folks, well, he only ran, you know, the the bottom of the route tree, or he's not, you know, he didn't consistently show the ability to stem at the top of his tree. He might not have been asked to in college. Oftentimes these wide receivers are just plugged into a system where maybe all they have to do is run a curl and a slant route. And that's all they have to do Mm -hmm. to be successful, right? Like all AJ Brown had to do at Ole Miss was run a slant route because he was going to dominate running that slant route in that offense, right? So uh, I would encourage folks when when thinking about route running to really consider what it means. There are pieces that are and are not more important. Uh, If you can release off the line of scrimmage against SEC man coverage, you're going up in my rankings, right? Because there's not a lot of man coverage played consistently in college football. And and release and being able to, to separate immediately off the line of scrimmage is something that I found translates very well to the next level. Uh, So it's really getting into some nuanced elements like that. Uh, that's that's kind of my example from the you, wide receiver side of things. Find, yeah, yeah. Are you finding that information by watching tape? Are you looking at um, like analytics? What where where do you where do you kind of gravitate to to find that? Yeah, so I'm watching tape on all of these guys. Uh, this past year, I think I got uh, I think I got to a hundred. It was like 98 or 100 film reviews in this year's past rookie class. Uh, any of the top prospects are getting about three to seven games of tape, depending on how long I've been watching them for. Uh, and so I'm really going in there, uh, hopefully with with mostly all 22 film, to be able to go in there and really get a clean look um, at a wide receiver's route running ability. That's oftentimes one of the hardest things to watch on tape, just because the angles that you get. Uh, sure. But yeah, uh, it's a tape-based process. And then cool. um, I should say the tape itself 
ends up being about 65% of my final formula that goes into the rookie big board rating that the player gets. The other 35% is based on the projected opportunity that I expect them to have short and long-term. So I definitely try to balance those two things out. It's not a purely tape evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I I, I don't think it should be for anyone to be a hundred percent one way or the other. And it was interesting. Um, Chris Towers was on the show last week, as I mentioned. And, and one of the things he talked about, he's like, I don't watch a whole lot of tape because I'm not a great evaluator of tape. And while the tape is objective, my reading of it or my interpretation of it is not. Um, and whereas Chris Harris the week before was like very much into looking at tape because he has a, he feels like he's a really good understanding of it. So it is interesting hearing different people's perspectives. And that's what I love about the fantasy football community with like a lot of the analysts that I've become friends with is people like yourself and these other guys have different approaches and different things that we're good at. And so by, by speaking to you guys and listening to y'all and and reading your content, I'm able to um, not only improve my understanding, but also um, I can steal your wisdom without having to be good at it myself, which is really, really great. You know, I I, I work on a college campus, right? And so I kind of give the example all the time that like a professor, right, is really specialized and is really good at, at one subject area. So, you know, you can, you can be trying to, to solve a solution with a, you know, a history professor and a sociology professor. They're both going to really contribute to that solution, right? But the historian shouldn't be trying to solve it like a sociologist and vice versa. And I think, you know, but those you blend those two things together, you have a good team. Right. And so I talk about it all the time. I I like the stats. I respect the stats. I am not as good as the stats. So like my energy and my time is better used to the film. But uh, I think it's great that, that, you know, you can see both sides of it because it's really important to recognize what you're good at. Put your energy and effort into that. Contribute it out there. And then hopefully folks are consuming multiple streams of content, right? It's not just my film review. You should be balancing that out with an analytics person that you really respect and enjoy. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about like even Travis, my, my co-host is like, he's a, he's a numbers driven dude and he's got spreadsheets until, you know, (laughs) you can fill up three, three massive screens with all the the different tabs he has open at any given time. And uh, he, he jokes about falling asleep and still seeing all the spreadsheets in his, in his brain. But like, I like to surround my people, surround myself with people like that as well, so that I'm getting all the content I can, and then I can just ask people questions and, and learn from them. Can I tell you that's really happened to me before in like heavy rookie evaluation? Because I do, I have a lot of sheets to organize, and I swear, like during like the peak time, I was like, dude, I need to step back from this because I literally was like dreaming of these spreadsheets. I was like, dude, I got th- this is a problem, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That's it's, it's, it's a real thing. I love it. Cool. I, I appreciate you kind of breaking that down. Um, another thing that I asked you is um, how does this evaluation or does it change much um, when you're talking about dynasty outlooks? You mentioned kind of your, your projection um, looking at both the you know, the here and the now, but also kind of projecting forward a couple of years. I'm, I'm curious um, how much stock you put in, like when you're looking at your dynasty rankings, for example, how much stock do you put into the, the, the position or the coaching staff, given the volatility in the NFL with roster turnover and even like, coaches don't last, unless you're like the Pittsburgh Steelers or something, like you're going to have a new coach fairly soon, most likely. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, I should say my strategy differs in, in dynasty versus seasonal with the way I, I build my roster. But I think the the best place to start out with this answer would be to say, 
I think you have to play in a three-year window. If you're playing Dynasty outside of a three-year window, I mean, just go back and look at ADP from three years ago. It's not going to be similar for the most part for the guys that are at the top of ADP right now. You mm-hmm. have to be flexible and you, and you have to understand that that being uh, adaptable and willing to move guys quickly is, is part of being a successful Dynasty fantasy football manager, right? So I am somebody who traditionally when I build my rosters like a startup draft, I am nine times out of ten. Uh, again, I play mostly super flex leagues. I'm investing in the quarterback position. I'm going to try to grab a tight end early, and I'm probably attacking mid-round wide receiver value. So I find myself in the very controversial running back zero position a lot of the times, but that's also because you know I trust my instincts and my ability to draft uh, in rookies, rookie drafts in future years and grab guys in the third, fourth round even that can contribute some value and, and find startability. And of course, the running back position we know is, is such a fragile position. And so uh, that's usually the way I roster build uh, as opposed to when I'm playing seasonal, I'm usually attacking those running backs early. Like I want two good running backs out of the first four rounds, probably really the first three rounds. And then I'm going to build, I'm going to wait on wide receivers. Um, and, you know, you translate that, that to dynasty. Young wide receivers traditionally take a little bit longer to translate to the NFL to put up uh, fantasy football value. Tight ends usually take even longer to translate. So Devi, Campus to Canton, I, I don't roster tight ends too, too often. Uh, but But certainly the running back position is one that you could hope for or project a little bit more immediate running back production. And we're getting to the point now where we could start projecting some more immediate quarterback production as well out of the rookies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, Travis actually wrote a really great piece on, on, on looking at college production and what that means for fantasy output from the quarterback position. So definitely check that out, but that that's really uh, informative information. Um, informative information. How's that for a redundancy? That's perfect. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things I was looking at my, at the show doc, reading the next line item and I was just talking. <laughs> Oops. No, uh, I like that a lot. Um, people are drafting. Uh, I've got my first uh, home league draft. Of course you and I have been drafting for months already, but I've got my first home league draft with uh, people that, uh, you know, are not as involved in some of this as you and I, but some of these leagues are like seven keeper leagues, stuff like that. Uh, dynasty leagues. Uh, if, if you're approaching a draft like that, what are some decisions you're making? You, you mentioned a few already. Do you find yourself gravitating away from like what, what age like is too old for you? Or are you like, you know what? I know what's happening this year. Um, and then also is there, um, specific ways we can kind of most people are looking at ESPN or Yahoo rankings that are going to be seasonal. They're not looking at dynasty rankings. Is there a way to kind of benefit off other people's lack of information? Like what are some tips that you can give us maybe um, to putting on the spot here? Cause I didn't have this in the, in the rundown, but what are some tips that maybe we can utilize for these deeper keeper leagues and stuff like that as we, as we approach draft weekend coming yeah, up here real I'll... soon? I'll I'll start with the fact that I call myself an impatient dynasty player. So whether it's seasonal or dynasty, if I have a shot at, at getting the ship, I'm going for it, right? So I'm aggressive. Yeah. Uh, I don't tend to buy into as much the narrative that wide receivers fall off, right? There's that like, what is it, age 30 cliff that everyone is scared of. You know, certainly, you know, more times than not, yes, by 30, a wide receiver has probably fallen off. But 
I'm, I haven't backed off of Julio the last two years. I'm not backing off of Julio again this year, right? So I'm willing to, you know, uh, take smart investment in some of those older guys. I will say second contract running backs tend to scare me. <laughs> That's okay. kind of a, a cutoff that I will use. Not, you know, not entirely. There are certainly guys, especially now, it seems like running backs are getting like extensions year three. Right, like uh, but, Dalvin Cook and some of these other guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so certainly not too far off of them, but, you know, I'll proceed with a little bit of caution. Um, I tend to fade running backs, uh, you know, in, in large exposure that have had significant lower body injuries. Um, that's that's more of an issue for me than age. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, thinking about how to handle, when I have a more we'll say like mainstream draft, like less nuanced players around me, I usually will lean on my projections and really wait to take some of the guys I would have jumped on earlier, especially rookies, right? Like I know that I'm going to always gravitate back to rookies when I'm talking about them, but Najee Harris right now, he is my running back eight in my projections or even second year guys that haven't like really, really broken out yet. Like DeAndre Swift, and I I know we're going to talk a little bit more about him, but I'm so high on DeAndre Swift compared to consensus. And so for those guys, I've been smashing those guys in the second round of industry drafts consistently over the summer. Your your more mainstream person is probably going to be a little bit more risk adverse, right? They're going to say, well, we haven't seen them do it yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to I'm not going to draft Najee Harris. I've never seen this guy play it down. Maybe I caught the national championship game. You know, maybe I've seen him play three college games, right? And so I can wait, you know, maybe wait on that value round three, round four for guys like that and take advantage of guys like uh, maybe Aaron Jones, who I might let go a little bit further. But folks know about Aaron Jones, Uh, you know, even a guy like Nick Chubb, who I might let slip a little bit. He might not slip because people know Nick Chubb. Right. And so that's probably how I would tailor my strategy uh, to more mainstream drafts. Yeah. One one more specific question on that, and then we can kind of move on a little bit. Um, when when looking at a, a keeper league, do you find yourself um, or would you recommend people draft considering this guy could become a keeper next year or draft based on what you think he will be doing this year because so much changes? Yeah, I think you should lead with what they can do this year, right? Hopefully those players are broken into tiers for you, uh, you know, based on um, or tiers, you know, just general ranges where you're saying like, yeah, running back nine through 14 are all pretty similar, right? So like my running back 11 is Antonio Gibson. I could get down to running back 15 and Austin Eckler. And those guys are pretty similar, right? I like both of them. I, I think they could be the bell cows on their team, also contribute in the passing game. So if I'm looking at those two guys in a keeper setting and I'm saying I'm cool with taking either one of these, they're not separated by you know much in my projections. Well, I'll use age as a tiebreaker. You know, we'll go with Antonio Gibson. He's younger. He gives me a little bit more long-term potential. I just talked about being a second contract running back, being a little bit, um, you know, uh, more adverse to that, right? So I would use it as a tiebreaker. I wouldn't use it as a lead into your decision. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I I, I like that a lot. Uh, it's funny. We're talking about running backs today. And I have always wondered why we lean so heavily on like the animal comparisons. Like we've got a a bell cow and a work horse and a lead dog. <laughs> like it's it's just so that's funny. funny. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah, it's like 
what's the difference? Like, do we do we want do we like horses or cows more? <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, before we jump into like running back specific stuff, um, just curious how you're drafting this year. Uh, just overall, I talked to to when we in last week's episode, Chris was telling me that he he's really kind of focusing in on this, like trying to build around, you know, a great tight end and then try to get an elite wide receiver and, and stuff like that. Uh, where are your, where are you leaning? Do you find yourself wanting one of those top three tight ends? Are you finding yourself going uh, a strict zero RB? You mentioned, you know, uh, that strategy a little bit earlier. There's the modified RB that people talk about with grab the one stud and then load up on the other positions and then grab some of these, um, these satellite backs a little bit later. What are you doing this year? And what do you yeah. recommend doing? <laughs> so yeah, that's Ho- a, hopefully that's a really... those are the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, with any luck, they're, they're similar, <laughs> yeah. right? I will say, so, you know, traditionally playing in super flex leagues, my traditional rule is you get three out of your first five rounds or quarterback. I'm super aggressive on that. Uh, however, I'll say one of the things that I'm enjoying about this year is that guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, I have high year one projections on, and they're they're still kind of low in ADP. So I can back yeah. off of that a little bit uh, and, and just you know move that back maybe a round or so. And I'm using that extra round to really be as aggressive as possible to get either Kelsey Waller or uh, or, or Kittle, right? Like getting one. Of, and I know a lot of folks have like dropped kittle out of that top tier they're all it's travis kelsey and then it's it's waller and kittle together for me uh Mm -hmm. yeah i'm still very much in on kittle and so i want one of those tight ends my goodness the drop off is so strong i I think folks are using kyle pitts to justify that drop off not being as far i think even hawkinson is is now you know another name and i'm in on hawkinson I, I am. I like Hawkinson, but I think maybe we're jumping the gun on Kyle Pitts, but I've already, you know, mentioned Rashad Bateman's name on this podcast. So I'm not trying to totally bury myself on the same show with all my controversial takes. So oh, we'll uh, have I'm trying. Some, we'll, some, we'll have some good Ravens love here in a, in, in a minute. So, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, it's uh, it's I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a Baltimore guy, so I'm not hating on the Ravens at all. But, uh, you know, so so I think that's really my strategy. You know, if I could walk away from the first five, six rounds with with you know, two quarterbacks that I feel really confident in a third quarterback who I know is starting. Uh, so a guy like Sam Darnold, for instance, I know he's starting every week. I still like Sam Darnold a little bit more than most folks. I like the offense he plays in. And so if I could walk away with, you know, two uh, quarterbacks that, that have a chance to finish, you know, QB 12 or higher, and then add Sam Darnold to that. And then you add in Darren Waller. I'm willing to figure out the rest down the, down the line in the draft. Okay, and then in, uh, for for people who are listening who aren't doing super flex, um, are you doing late round QB, mid round QB? Uh, I know a lot of people have you know late round QB was was so popular thanks to to JJ Zacharyson and and his work, which was great, and he's actually going to come on the show in the off season to talk about some of his modeling, which will be awesome. Um, but we uh, we've seen a shift kind of back with these these great elite running quarterbacks that that you know we've been able to get them. Um, like when you're on them the right year, like you're getting a Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes in double digit rounds. And then you see them the next year, they're not going first round or second round in most of the leagues we're playing in, or even a lot of what our listeners are, are, are drafting, but you're seeing them in those round three to five ranges. Is that too early for you um, in a standard league, a uh, standard one quarterback league, or are you willing to um, get the, in, the upside with those rushing numbers? 
Yeah. So if you're playing in a one quarterback league, I think the first thing you want to do is drop out of that league. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I have I have very little interest in the quarterback position in a one quarterback. So in a one quarterback league, I'd say use that first round pick for running back, try to get that tight end in the second round, and then feel free to just smash running back. Like I wouldn't have any problem walking out of the first five rounds with four running backs and a tight end. You know, use those middle rounds to just absolutely soak up that wide receiver value and then, you know, throw a quarterback or two. No, just just throw one quarterback as your last round pick or one of your final round picks and then work the waiver wire. I mean, you know, I'm looking at it, my projections here, right? Like Jalen Hurts is quarterback 12 for me. Uh, the difference between him and uh, Tua, who I have as quarterback 17, who I'm definitely still a fan of, is 20 fantasy points. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, just so close. You know, Talk about right. 1.3 1. fantasy points a game or less. <laughs> like it's right. And, and so, you know, draft your quarterback 12 and then just work the waiver wire if, if you need to. If, if you Jalen Hurts doesn't work out and, you know, even if, you know, you could get a guy down the road, even if it's Baker Mayfield, you know, I've met 19, uh, you know, 30 points below that, you know, week over week, you're losing what two fantasy points uh, per week. So, I'm totally fine just working the waiver wire at the end of your draft. Yeah. Okay. So I agree completely. Although in best ball, I've been going a little bit higher on these other guys, but uh, that's maybe a conversation for another time because I want to get into some of this other stuff. I did that last year. I got to tell like, so last year in best ball, I hit Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson early. And obviously the Kyler Murray teams worked better than the Lamar teams. But this year I've just totally faded that. I, I have mm. I don't think I have any Lamar or any Kyler. So we'll see how it works. Yeah, I've got about I think in about 30% of my leagues, I've been getting a quarterback in the first six rounds in best ball. Um, and it's usually a, a Mahomes or a, or Lamar. And in the other ones, I'm just waiting. I, I, I have yeah. no interest in a in a middle tier quarterback. So um, but cool. Let's uh, let's actually pause for a break real quick. Hear from our sponsors. I usually forget to do that. And then I have to kind of figure out a way to squeeze it in afterwards. And I don't want to do that this week. So we'll be back with you guys in just about two minutes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking around. We're going to kind of jump over to more... Uh, specific 
you know, content for, for this upcoming year, for this season, uh, looking at running backs. Uh, we looked a little bit about wide receivers last week. Actually, before we touched running backs, can you give me one name that you are interested in uh, right now, Matt? You, you mentioned like hitting uh, those, those, the value in the middle rounds with those wide receivers. Other than Terrace Marshall, who's a mid-round um, or even late-round wide receiver that you just want to make sure that you're walking away from if you do have a very running back heavy or you've been taking the uh, your quarterbacks and your tight ends and your super flex stuff? Where, where, where are you looking for that wide receiver value? What's the name you yeah. can give us? I think there's a lot of good options here. Uh, DJ Moore is my wide receiver uh, 12 on the season, which I, I think is better than his ADP, but he's always super popular. You know, uh, my two guys, I swear, the last three years, I just soak them up, soak them up. Cooper Cup is my wide receiver 13. Tyler Lockett is my wide receiver 17. Those guys always fall so consistently. And then the guy that I've really been smashing and you know, even on even for seasonal, Jalen Waddle. I, I have a high projection for Jalen Waddle out of Miami. I, I think he is going to absolutely soak up the volume there for the Dolphins. I think we've seen already at a preseason some good hype around his connection with Tua. And I think a lot of folks are projecting backwards when they're looking at the Miami offense. Yep, and I think we we always need to be projecting forwards. And I'm a little bullish on him. He's my wide receiver 26 this year. And, you know, we're always projecting in the range of outcomes. You know, certainly I can absolutely see a world where Jalen Waddle is more of a mid wide receiver too. So I've been very aggressive going after him. And you can get him cheap, which is great. That, that, those, are yeah, some so really, those are some great names because they kind of fall at various ranges in your draft. Uh, DJ Moore, obviously going a little early around four or five um, and then cup and Lockett a couple rounds after that. Lockett's a guy, I mean, I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan. So uh, <laughs> I love Tyler Lockett and I, I just, I, I think DK Metcalf being great helps Lockett. I know there was the inconsistency, but I was listening to another podcast the other day and they're like, man, if you would have flipped um, Lockett's early season production from the beginning of the year to the end, like if you just flipped the season, he'd be going in like round three because everyone would be like, man, look, he ended the year on such a crazy pace. Uh, but because he did it early and then kind of faded, uh, people are much lower. So anyway, we're supposed to be talking about running backs. I do this all the time where I get off on tangents, uh, but it's good. But I want to talk about a guy that you mentioned uh, earlier in the episode as, as someone that you're super, super high on. Um, second year back uh, for the Detroit Lions, which that that's probably the main reason I'm scared of Swift. Uh, you have him um, at number six. I have him. Well, I don't have him. I should say Rotoviz has him ranked uh, number 12. So I'm curious if you're ranking him at his ceiling projection, like, is this like best case scenario? And I want to dive in on that. Uh, what your thoughts are on the Jamal Williams role. Uh, is it possible that Swift could only be uh, like a, a more, a f- slightly more used satellite back or um, as Sean Siegel wrote in one of the articles on Rotoviz, could he be about to break? Could he be on the verge of a breakout? Like we saw with David Johnson. What, what, what are you thinking here? Yeah, and I'll certainly say I think where Rotoviz has him is a little bit more of the consensus mainstream. But yeah. I am bullish on DeAndre Swift. And, and you know, this is certainly a guy that I have heavily invested in already because first and foremost, I believe in his talent. And I think he flashed some really fantastic examples of his talent last year. Explosive. Uh, just he's uh, the way he moves around the field is really clean. Uh, he has the ability to to work defenders off of him without having you know super large or super long movements, um, and and so he works really well in between the tackles. He's got good explosion. He's got good long speed, uh, and he had some flashes of that last year. 
Now, DeAndre Swift, in he finished, I believe, around running back 20 last year. Um, for PPR leagues, he finished, yeah, right there at running back uh, 20, right at 20 uh, in PPR leagues. And he only played 13 games. Right, uh, but yeah, he, so still he missed got, 11 to 13. Uh, week 11 to 13, he was out. Yeah, and remember, even in the first couple of games, he wasn't really getting run. We were all so annoyed with the Adrian remember, Peterson. Yeah. Oh, and that and that touchdown drop in the very first game of the season. Jeez. And, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, that touchdown drop, so many folks that seared into their brain, and I yes. get it. But DeAndre Swift is a really good pass catcher. And that is one of the things that is so, so critical. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so much higher on him than everyone else, right? So if you look at last season, we just talked about it. He only ran the ball 114 times. He found the end zone on the ground eight times. So this year, mm-hmm. I have him pushed out to just 205 rushing attempts. And, oh, and well, I think that's yeah. that's really key is that I'm projecting this without a, a massive amount of rushing attempts. I have Jamal Williams at 168 rushing attempts. So I think Jamal Williams is going to get his, right? Um, but... That translates to 11 rushing touchdowns for me for DeAndre Swift because I do think he's going to be the guy at the goal line. The key with DeAndre Swift and where I think I'm more bullish on him than most folks is I have him being a significant part of this passing game. So DeAndre Swift last year had 57 targets. He caught 46% of those targets. So this year I have him projected out for 67 targets which seems reasonable. I only increased his targets by by 10, and I expect him to be on the field for four more games, right? Uh, and I have him catching 50 of those, finding the end zone, uh, or I should say bringing in 377 yards and finding the end zone three times. Uh, when you add those numbers up, that, that PPR aspect is really what makes DeAndre Swift special. I think one of the other things that's scaring folks from being in on DeAndre Swift as highly is Jared Goff in the lack of wide receivers, I think folks are a little bit scared that the offense is going to be too honed in on DeAndre Swift, loading the box a little bit too often. But I think it actually complements very well what Jared Goff has been most most successful in his career, right? You look at peak Jared Goff, and the Rams were smashing Gurley in between the tackles. Jared Goff is a play-action quarterback. And so if they can get that rhythm down right, it could keep defenses you know, off balance, not to mention the fact that TJ Hawkinson is a good pass catcher. He'll contribute to the passing game. I believe Amon Ross St. Brown will quickly contribute to the passing game. And I think Tyrell Williams, Quentin Cephas, and even Brashad Perriman will have their moments or at least stretch the field enough so that offenses can't consistently put eight or nine guys in the box against DeAndre Swift. And even if they do, like I mentioned, DeAndre Swift can be an animal in the flat. So I know I'm more bullish on him than most folks, but I don't think I'm projecting an unreasonable set of numbers for him. Yeah, I know when you kind of spell out how you have him projected, he doesn't sound unreasonable. I mean, touchdowns, of course, difficult to predict. Uh, there's so much else that goes into it, but uh, the numbers all seem reasonable. And, and that does still project him because of the the benefit that he does add to uh to the pass game uh, really elevates him. So I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think we look at like satellite backs and we're like, man, these guys are undervalued. Um, we should be targeting, targeting Gio Bernard. We should be targeting James White. And we've seen what they can do. But DeAndre Swift has the ability to not only do that, but he also has the ability to contribute in the running game uh, like he did last year. So I think that's a really, really good point. I also really appreciate you bringing up the fact that like this isn't you giving Swift, the workload. This is still Jamal Williams being involved. 
And, and even with that, you can see a pathway for really, it sounds like both of them could have a successful year given, given ADP. Yeah, I have, I just mentioned, uh, you know, I'm playing in a ton of underdog, right? I have plenty of exposure. I don't have the exact number. I probably have 15 to 20% exposure to Jamal Williams too. And I love DeAndre Swift. I've got them everywhere. They're not on the same rosters. They're on different, you know, rosters. But, you know, the key with drafting guys like Jamal Williams, Gio Bernard, James White, you might have some good weeks from them, but it's really that idea of of running back fragility, right? And and being Mm -hmm. able to have the guy if the lead guy goes down, but yeah, I have Jamal Williams at 36% of the market share on the ground. I think he, I, we've seen him be good and efficient in Green Bay. I'm not writing off Jamal Williams. What's helpful is that Adrian Peterson's not there. You know, I think the next guy up the running back three is Jamar Jefferson, who <laughs> I, I am not scared of. And, and so <laughs> I think it will be these two guys. And I have uh, Detroit running the ball 465 times this season. So I do think that they're going to rely on the running game a decent amount as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, let's let's move on to um, another team that we mentioned, Baltimore Ravens. Let's talk about their backfield a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I kind of want to just pause on a little bit is, is the fact that the Ravens just blew away the rest of the league when it comes to running the ball. Uh, they ran the ball on 57.8% of their plays last year. That's about 35 attempts per game. Uh, just startling. Uh, they ran the, the ball a lot in the red zone. We We all know this. Uh, one of the fears with with J.K. Dobbins is that Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards take up a lot of that work. You um, aren't that much higher on Dobbins than Rotoviz, but Dobbins is a name that I feel like gets, um, there's a lot of shade thrown his way, especially in half or full PPR. I'd love for you to talk to me just why you have him uh, just outside your, your top 12. You have him at number 13. Uh, what, what is it that you like about him? Why are you, um, it sounds like with, with where you have him ranked, you probably have uh, a decent decent exposure to, to J.K. Dobbins. Also, J.K. Dobbins is the name mentioned at the beginning. Like they're talking about a running, like in the music, when the show starts, Gus is talking about J.K. Dobbins with a breakaway touchdown. So we love him on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love J.K.D. You know, th- he was... I believe in my final evaluation, I believe he was my running back two in that year's draft class behind DeAndre Swift. If not, he was a close three behind Jonathan Taylor. But I believe it just in terms of pure tape evaluation that I had J.K. Dobbins as the second best running back in that class. And I was somebody who warned, warned folks about J.K. Dobbins last year. I was not in on J.K. Dobbins. I didn't expect him to be the only dude because I have, uh, and, and I, do consider it to be a, a very fortunate uh, the ability to really be honed in on the Baltimore Ravens offense here, living in the Baltimore area and and really being tuned in on them. But the Baltimore Ravens offense is, I am convinced, you cannot convince me otherwise. There is no offense like worse understood by the fantasy football community at large than the Baltimore Ravens offense, uh, or just the team structure in general, right? What Baltimore is always going to do is they are going to first and foremost invest in their defense. They want to slow the game down first. That's their priority. The second priority for that team is to reinforce the offensive line, starting on the inside, working out. And then the third priority for the team is to run the ball. The fourth priority is to pass the ball. And it's very low on the list uh, for folks uh, that are investing in the pass catchers in the Baltimore offense. But the running game is different. One thing that we saw 
was a really intentional effort by Baltimore last year too that that factors into my projections and how much I expect them to run the ball. When they got up in the first quarter, which they did, I believe, in in like three three quarters of the games that they played, when they got up in the first quarter, they slowed the game down. They funneled mm. to a fault. <laughs> to a fault. They lost some games because they slowed it down too far. Uh, but you could tell that's the emphasis of this team. Now, I was convinced that the Ravens were going to add a, a serious running back through free agency or the draft because they've always kind of had four guys. And that's why I was proceeding with caution on J.K. Dobbins for most of the offseason. Once we got through free agency in the draft and they hadn't added anyone, it was full go on my projections for J.K. Dobbins. So I have Baltimore running the ball 610 times this year. It was 555 times last year. And I have J.K. Dobbins getting 244 of those rushing attempts. Volume was the issue for J.K. Dobbins last year. He was also super, super efficient. And and so I know that efficiency will drop a little bit, but even drop that efficiency. And we got a good shot at J.K. Dobbins going over 1,200 rushing yards. So then the key is going to be touchdowns. Does Gus Edwards vulture those touchdowns? Some of them, yes. I have Gus Edwards at six touchdowns. I still have Dobbins at 12 touchdowns. What is going to hurt J.K. Dobbins is I don't think he's going to get much run in the passing game, right? That's what's limiting J.K. Dobbins from being a true, true running back one. Uh, And that's because Lamar usually won't check down, right? If Lamar's checking down, he's probably either checking down to Andrews or Or he's just running the ball. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or he's checking to his own legs, right? And so that's what's going to limit J.K. Dobbins. And so I don't know if as a fantasy player, he'll ever be in the conversation of like a top five running back. But I think he is just going to live in this running back 10 to 12 world over the next three to four years. No, that's 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 a great breakdown. Um, I I pulled up because I was curious about like just looking at the high value touches um, for the Ravens last year. And, and these are, you know, rushing attempts within the red zone. And J.K. Dobbins led the way with uh, 29 rushes. But Gus Edwards had 28 and Lamar Jackson at 26. Uh, so and then you add on to that uh, Dobbins had eight touchdowns in the red zone. Um, and Gus Edwards and, and Lamar combined for 10. And so I, I do get a little bit nervous that those guys are going to take away from Dobbins and they will. But to your point, we don't need him to be a running back one for him to to return value on, on ADP uh, because he still will get enough volume. So um, I like J.K. Dobbins a lot. He was actually my favorite running back coming out of the class last year. Um I also am on a podcast with an Ohio State guy, so um, take that for what it's worth. Um, so, so, so that's great. Uh, Dobbins is someone who I think, uh, if we do see a change where they do like call some, like if it's not a checkdown pass, but if they call some screen passes, if they call some you know quick hitters to the flat or something like that, we could see his his value elevate quickly. Uh, is Gus Edwards someone that you view as a high value handcuff? Is he someone you view? as more than that, like has his own standalone value. Would you be, uh, if you, if you got JK Dobbins, would you be looking to make sure you get Gus Edwards or do you not really believe in the whole handcuffing situation? Yeah. I try not to handcuff on the same roster. I will say, you know, Gus Edwards is such a fascinating player. I have him in a lot of spots, but I have leftover Gus Edwards. Like I haven't actively acquired Gus Edwards for anything that's ever cost real money. But I just mm-hmm. mentioned I have a lot of RB0 dynasty builds, so he's hanging out there. The thing about Gus Edwards is he really is a change of pace back. In like the 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 truest sense of that, Gus Edwards over the last couple of years has been used by the Ravens as the dude that you put on the field 
to take a run when your other guys need to get off the field. That is why Gus Edwards is on the roster. They run the ball so often that it ends up that that is a consistent thing. And so he ends up with 150 rushing attempts in my projections. I will say too, like the rise of Gus Edwards has been this really funny thing to watch because if you go back to 2019, Gus Edwards had the similar type of opportunities as he did in 2020, and he was so inefficient. Mm -hmm. Like he was the guy that could not move the goal line. Like he got stuffed in the goal line so much. And there was a lot of uh, negative feelings towards him from the Baltimore fan base because he just seemed like a guy that was going out there and smashing into a wall for three yards really consistently. But in 2020, he finally kind of came around and, and showed a much higher ability, a much more efficient running style. And so there's a little bit of me that says, like, which Gus Edwards are we getting? Which ones? I like to think that the player progressed, right? But it's in the back of my head, the idea that, like, this guy was was kind of an enemy of the people a little bit uh, in 2019 right. when we needed him really to be good. Uh, and so I haven't forgotten that with Gus Edwards. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Um, quick question for you here. Um, while you were talking, I just got curious because you were talking about how they like to slow the ball down. Uh, one of the things I look at, um, and this is back when uh, people talked about goal line backs a lot and how teams mm -hmm. would you know, bring in their bruiser close to the goal line to get that two-yard punch in. But one of the things we've noticed is with pace of play increasing so much, a lot of teams leave in whatever running back got them there because they don't want to give the defense an opportunity to take a break. So I was like thinking in my mind, okay, I wonder where Baltimore sits on this pace of play. Um, and they were actually, um, let me see here, second to last in pace of play um, last year. So to me, um, and, and only did like a no huddle 3% of the time, which is shockingly low. And, and to me, what that says is there's an opportunity that, whichever running back they want to use at the goal line is going to be the one that they put in there because they're not the ones pushing the tempo. To me, that's a plus. Like that's a, that's a, a check in the box for a pro JK Dobbins, as opposed to uh, something that we should avoid. So uh, I, I like that point as well. Yeah, that's a really great point with pace of play. I, I think what I would keep in mind when thinking about the Baltimore Ravens offense is that, I think they do a really good job of controlling when they want to move fast. Because if you watch the first quarter of a Ravens game, they do. They move fast. Hmm. But once they're up 7, 10 points even, if they feel like it's an opponent that they can control, then they slow it down. So if the Ravens find themselves in, in tighter games this year, they're probably going to play faster. I guess it's, it's easy to play faster than 31st in the league anyways, right? Um, but they were so far ahead of their opponents so consistently. And we see with the Baltimore Ravens, right, it, you know, for folks thinking about weekly, you know, maybe playing J.K. Dobbins weekly, the, the Ravens take care of business against the teams they're supposed to, and they often struggle against the teams you expect them to. So, you know, plan that out ahead of time. If they're playing, you know, when they're playing the Bengals, you could roll out J.K. Dobbins with some pretty damn good confidence. Uh, you might even get into Gus Edwards that week. Uh, when they're yeah. playing a, a more stout defense, they're, they're probably going to struggle. You know, historical precedent shows us that they will struggle against the tougher defenses, which means they may need to throw more. So maybe that's the week you take a shot on Hollywood or, or Bateman or, or Watkins or whatever wide receiver that you want to throw in there. 
Yeah, wish everyone happens to be healthy that week. Um, yeah, well, right now it's none, so. <laughs> I know. Let's let's talk about Josh Jacobs because uh, he's someone that we've talked about a little bit. And uh, I told you, like, I just can't quit him around that four or five turn in best ball. Um, and one of the reasons why is if you look at his, uh, again, we talked about, I mentioned the range of outcomes app that we have um, as one of our tools over at Rotoviz. And, and what I like is it gives you kind of the low, medium, and high uh, range of outcome for any specific player. And you can kind of categorize those um, in a lot of different ways. And one of them is just looking at overall numbers, just raw numbers and compare it to other running backs. Um, if you look at what uh, the high range of outcomes is for Josh Jacobs, uh, he is right at running back. Let me see. One, two, three, 11. <laughs> so uh, his high range of outcomes puts him in, uh, in a category with guys like Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara, Jonathan Taylor, David Montgomery. Again, David Montgomery is another one that, you know, we could, I could have substituted his name in here for Josh Jacobs, but has a, a potentially high range of outcome just because um, if he gets the work, when he pops, it could be really, really good. Henceforth, why I like him in best ball. Now, you have him higher than Rotoviz does. You have him at 20. Rotoviz has him at 25. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Josh Jacobs. I'd like to, and, and I think, you know, I think that's the range we find him in. But do you think there is a possibility that he, we could just be overlooking him a little bit too much this year? And maybe the addition of Kenyon Drake shouldn't scare us as much as, as people have made out. Yeah, I think that's really the key is what what's the move for Kenyon Drake? And I should say most of my exposure to Josh Jacobs was earlier in the summer. So like May, June. Because Josh Jacobs for me, so early on in the summer, I should say, I was hammering uh, tight end heavy and then wide receiver and kind of letting the running backs fall a little further because there was definitely an ADP change around mid-June where all of a sudden running backs got a lot more expensive. And so my exposure to Josh Jacobs came in like round four or five when he was much lower. I don't I don't think right now I could pay you know anything higher than like a late round four for Josh Jacobs. My thing with him is that I, I think we just know what we have, right? It's just a, it's just a guy who, who's going to be solid. He's going to go out there. He's going to touch the ball plenty, and let's hope he falls into the end zone sometimes, right? I don't I don't think most mm -hmm. folks really believe in the Raiders' offense. Uh, John Gruden is not the guy that I want to hitch my wagon to. He could hit. I mean, if John Gruden hits, man, this offense could be fun as heck. But uh, it, it's not yeah, yeah. where I'm putting my money, right? It's not where I'm putting my chips. I will say the thing that that I've kind of kept in mind when projecting out Josh Jacobs versus Kenyon Drake, and I think this might be where you know the the five spots of, of rankings you know differs because it's not a huge difference. But I've really put an emphasis on Kenyon Drake in the passing game. Uh, that could be me just buying into what the Raiders are telling us, which again could be a miserable uh, decision by me. Uh, but <laughs> I have Kenyon Drake at 156 rushing attempts. So I'm at 32% of the rush market versus Josh Jacobs at 52% of the rush market. I think one of the things that really helps us is that Derek Carr is not going to run the ball. And I think that sometimes right. is one of the things that we uh, overlook is that so many quarterbacks now at least come with some level of running the ball, right? Like most quarterbacks are at least going to get between 75 to 90 rushing attempts, even with like some mobility, right? Uh, Derek Carr, you know, I've met 48 rushing attempts, and that's mostly going to be when he has to like scramble for two yards or maybe he tries a goal line sneak, right? Like that's even your your pocket quarterbacks end up with like 40 rushes throughout the season. It's like three per, per week. Um, 
but but that helps Josh Jacobs. So at 52% of the market, that's 250 rushing attempts. It's hard to have a guy, even if he's not efficient, which he's not, it's hard to have a guy who runs the ball 250 times that you're not willing to roster at some level. Now, I'm not buying into this narrative that all of a sudden he's a great pass catching back. I think that's why Kenyon Drake will be on the field. I also do think that they're going to line Kenyon Drake up at the slot some. And, you know, Derek Carr is an efficient passer. So I think they're still going to throw the ball significantly more than they run the ball. And hopefully, right, between Ruggs, Edwards, uh, Renfro, John Brown, and of course, Darren Waller, hopefully something freaking clicks in this passing attack to make it fun like it should be. So Jacobs is just there. It's hard for me to get excited about him, but at some point you just got to take him for the volume. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you, as well as the, the rankers here at Rotoviz are lower on him than like the fantasy pros. Um, ADP has him at like 16. So I probably fall more in line with, you know, the average ranker. Um, and, and you're probably like my colleagues a little bit lower on him than some, uh, but I like him, especially in best ball, because I think weeks where he pops, he, he has that ability to really win you uh, a week. I hate that yeah, term. Yeah. No one could win you a week. Um, I don't know why I said that. Uh, he could sure help. <laughs> but he could sure help. He won't be the reason you didn't win. Um, last guy before I let you go, because we just hit that hour mark. I want to talk a little bit about Daryl Henderson because uh, I find it really difficult to know what to do with him because um, I know you were one of the guys who was really expecting a, a, a break, a break, a big breakout uh, from Acres. Now he's gone. Um, I believe it's his Achilles. We won't see him this year. Daryl Henderson has the opportunity to really pop. And in the games where he saw the majority of the carries um, uh, when both um, when acres went down last week, so uh, not last week, last year. So in week two through four, he, he finished uh, three of those four weeks um, in that RB one category. So really productive. Um, he had, you know, over 20 points in two of those games, averaged 16.4 PPR points in those. Is that kind of what you're expecting from him? You have him at 23, so you're not you know, calling a shot like he's going to be Cam Akers. But what are you doing with him? When is it that you're comfortable uh, kind of you know, choosing him over some of the other guys? Uh, Fantasy Pros has him all the way down at 30. You have him at 23, and Rotoviz has him at 19. So again, you're more in line with what, what our guys here think. But when do you feel like, what do you think we should expect uh, with this new look Rams offense? And by new yeah, look, I, I just mean Matt Stafford. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, you know, I don't expect to find myself in a position where I'm hyping up Daryl Henderson. Right. Like, if you look at my sure. track record, I have not been the Daryl Henderson guy. I was the wet blanket on Daryl Henderson coming out. I, I thought that he was, you know, really a guy that took advantage of, of large amounts of space I, in, in college. I, I don't think, you know, not, I thought, not the highest level of competition uh, right. at Memphis. Yeah, and just like not not too clean uh, of a runner. I didn't feel like he had as much explosion as maybe, you know, you putting him up against uh, Tulane's defense on your highlight clip might suggest, right? Uh, and But <laughs> I will say that, that Daryl Henderson last year, remember Cam Akers was out for a portion of time last year for a smaller injury. And I remember during those weeks, Daryl Henderson flashed and we had a really fantastic conversation in the patron Slack channel about Daryl Henderson because the Daryl Henderson truthers were getting at me and they were saying, look, he looks good. He looks efficient. And I went back, I watched the 22 on Daryl Henderson. And I got to say, you know, as a runner in the pros, he does look a lot cleaner. He His burst is a lot more consistent. 
And so I definitely liked when I watched the the pro all 22 tape on Daryl Henderson a lot better than when I watched his college tape. Uh, that being said, you know, once Cam Akers was healthy, Daryl Henderson, in my mind, was was getting relegated back to that that running back two role. And I think it's clear that that's what the Rams view who he is. Uh, you know, thinking about this offense, they threw the ball 590 times last year. Adding, remember, we're adding in another game, but I think they're they're passing the ball 690 times. Like Matt Stafford is oh, wow. chucking this rock, yeah. man. It, it's it's aggressive, but it's actually it wouldn't be the most in Matt Stafford's career. Uh, and so I, I think he's hucking the rock, and especially you know you look at the type of roster. You know, a lot of the times you have to to listen to what the coach is telling you, even when they're not telling you anything, right? What did what did McVay spend the offseason doing? Adding little little gadgets that he could just throw the ball to, right? The, uh, Deshaun Jackson, Tutu Atwell in the second freaking round. All right, nobody's drafting right. Tutu Atwell in the second round to to soak up volume on a team with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup when you just drafted Van Jefferson the year before. You even look at guys like mm. adding in Jacob Harris and giving him so much run when you already have Tyler Higley and Bryson Hopkins. It, Sean McVay is telling us that he wants to throw the ball. He wants to throw it in a lot of different ways and he wants to do it often. Still, with all of that being said, you know, Daryl Henderson for me, I have him projected out at 50% of the rushing share just simply by default. Again, Matt Stafford, not a guy who's running the ball, uh, you know, especially at this point in his career with, with a with a back injury history. So I have Henderson at a thousand yards, 4.7 yards per rush. That's efficient. That's not like super efficient. I only have him finding the end zone seven times. I do have like Xavier Jones as the next guy up. I'm a big Jake Funk fan. I have him stashed everywhere. Uh, and if he hits, I'm going to take all the credit name. in the world. But I can't, uh, I can't, you know, sit here and tell you that I actually think that he's going to, you know, steal touches. And, you know, Xavier Jones was the guy who like started the preseason game. He got the first run. That's what the Rams have been saying. So Xavier Jones is probably the two, even though honestly, I can't tell you that much about his particular play style. But I just think by default, Daryl Henderson is going to be out there. And so this is a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, you plug a player into the projections and you end up seeing something totally different than what you think you see just watching, you know, the mm -hmm. games live, you know, Daryl Henderson, like in my head is still an RB three, but I plug him into the projections. He's an RB two. And so I have to take that into account when I'm drafting. Yeah. Is he someone that in one of your builds, that's more, you know, kind of like a, more zero RB type where you're, you're really hammering the wide receiver position. Would you feel comfortable having Daryl Henderson being one of the first running backs you took in that like round six, seven range? You know, I think Daryl Henderson and I haven't looked at his ADP right now, but just from what it's I've from observed 70 overall right now. Yeah. So that was kind of my, my intuition is what he, what uh, I believe the uh, uh, who, who has coined the phrase, I believe it might be a uh, uh, Denny Carter or the uh, somebody at, at NBC edge. Uh, you know, the dead zone, the running back dead zone, that's kind of where Daryl Henderson falls into for me. And I'm not messing with that. You know, if yeah, your that, running back gets past running the back early dead third, zone was our boy Ben sucked. Gretsch. He, he was oh. our boy Ben Gretsch over here at Rotoviz now again. You had yeah, it first. You had it first. Yeah, yeah. See? Well, I, I mean, guess they, he, he was with CBS when he when he really started talking about it. But uh, but he's back doing a podcast with us, uh, Stealing Bananas. Go check it out. Uh, it's it's, yeah. it's hilarious. He's, no, Daryl Henderson yeah. is in the Rotoviz dead zone yeah that's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. where he is right now and, and you know past like those trickle over round three guys not interested talk to me again round eight you know what i mean okay. because and that's like a lesson learned for me I, i've gone after those running backs before and they hit occasionally 
but probably not uh, unless you feel strongly about them and you see like a tremendous value. Um, so it, he's it, not probably, someone that you would no, look to I like would. after going heavy wide receiver, take a quick round off to grab him as your one. No, semi, I, I just let him go. Look, look elsewhere. Let, cool. Let, let somebody else win on that player. You know, yeah. that, that kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, well, I want to let you go cause we're, you know, well over an hour now and, um, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, enjoy talking some of that higher level stuff, just how you, how your process looks, talking a little bit about, um, what you're doing this year when it comes to drafting and then and getting into this player is really, really beneficial. I'm moving swift up. Uh, that's for sure. Um, you, you've really done a, a good job convincing me. Um, so, so swift, uh, moving on up, uh, I need to get some more shares <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just good stuff. I want to remind everyone, you can, um, find the link to, uh, Matt's Patreon, um, in, in the show, uh, notes under the podcast here. Otherwise, um, it's patreon.com slash the FF educator. And of course, follow Matt on Twitter at the FF underscore educator, tons of great content. He's always, um, he's always got new videos on YouTube, good, just good content overall, follow really good follow on Twitter, uh, very insightful and just a lot of fun as well. So Matt, thanks so much. Uh, any, any last words of wisdom or uh, snark or anything that you need to leave our listeners with? No, man, I'm, I'm just glad to be on this. I feel like I rambled a lot to start. I feel like we hit our stride Beautiful. when talking about the projection. So that, that was fun. I could, we could, we could spend like five hours uh, just bouncing around on projections and I think we'd have a good time together, Absolutely. but uh you know, uh, the Rookie Big Board podcast, uh, that yes. is its own podcast. And then I also have uh, the NFL Draft Bible Podcast Network. This year, we are doing a specific Devi seminar episode per week and a specific college fantasy football, the Blitz episode this this season. So each of those will, will be one per week all the way through the season. Super fun. Listen, if, if you're going to listen through an hour and 10 minutes of this content, listen to me ramble, and you probably want to check out the Patreon just because Absolutely. like this is what we do all day. So, you know, in the Slack channel and then on, on all the bonus content and the Debbie rankings and, and all that good stuff. So, man, I just appreciate you. I, I love kicking it with you and it's fun to do it in front of the mic as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a good time. I was thinking when you were talking about projections, uh, next off season we should get some of us together and uh, and and just do a big big old seminar, uh, kind of talking through how we do it. Uh, maybe maybe get some some content out on that as well. But that would be a lot of fun, just uh, using each other's brains to help us with the process. Not 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 you know stealing each other's way of doing it, but just kind of observing how we do it and learning from each other would be a lot of fun. So uh, I think we should, we should plan on that. I'll come out to Baltimore or something like that, but um, hey man, I'm you. here for it. That'd be a <laughs> yeah, great time. That'd be good. Uh, maybe swing up for some new England, uh, some, some new England or new Haven style pizza. So uh, new Haven <laughs> style, the best, the best pizza. And you can at me on Twitter for that one, but uh, yeah, it's the facts. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me. Um, Travis will be back on like Tuesday. Uh, of course, uh, he'll, he'll probably be hitting up the college football side. Him and I are going to get together on kind of a, a pod together right before the season kicks off. We've got college football right around the corner. Um, we're already, you know, in the middle of the preseason for the NFL. So this is a good time of year. Um, lots of great stuff coming out. Again, follow Matt on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon.